Coulihan. Into the penalty area. But Shane Long was definitely onside. Shane Long has done it! A good night for Ireland! Might just be turning into a great night for Ireland! Kinsella Quinn heads on. Oh, surely this time for Keane! And Ireland do it! I've done! 1 0! And Ray has to stop the breakthrough! A little cross in there, and it's come through here! McIntyre! Hello and welcome to the football show. Coming up, we're going to be talking Ireland's crunch tie away to Austria, populous England versus Scotland, and Bundesliga and UEFA commentator Rob Daly is going to talk us through the most hated team in Germany. We're going to start with a roll call today. End of call, are you here? I'm here. And Oshie McQuarns, are you here? Present. Gentlemen, big week for the World Cup qualifiers ahead. Martin O'Neill is named a squad. It's included Daryl Horgan and Andy Boyle. Um, the two boys seem to be doing all the media work this week as they train with their new teammates and Roy Keane has told the boys that they're not there on merit but do we expect them to get a run out? Um, I don't. Well, I would love to see Daryl Horgan get a run out. I'd love to see him as an impact sub maybe around 67 minutes, 60th or 70th minute but if I'm going to be honest, if I'm, if, I'm talking, if I'm talking, trying to talk some sense here I honestly don't think either of them will feature. Well, I think in- injuries have helped uh, their situation massively because myself and, J- and Jack were talking about this uh, yesterday and in midfield we can only think of uh, Harry Arter, Glenn Whelan and uh, and Jeff Hendrick to play in the midfield but who do you put mm-hmm. out wing because you can't put Walters out wing because Daryl Murphy and Shane Long are mm-hmm. out injured you so you need to put you need to put McLean will probably be going up front alongside Walters with the way that Martin O'Neill has been shaping his squad in the past year so I think the best it's probably the best opportunity Daryl Horgan will have to get into the Ireland squad and say we have a Horgan on the bench and say it's about the 60-minute mark and he's looking to change players, would you put him ahead of McGeady in preference? Oh, God, yeah, 100%. Because McGeady does get a lot of games for Ireland. And I mean, how are we looking at the standard that both of those players seem to be playing I, at? I think Horgan's an unknown quantity. He'll be an unknown yeah. quantity for most of the Austrian players, Yeah, I think. In terms of McGeady, you kind of know, you don't need to be like a, a top researcher to know what McGeady does, what his game's all about. But Daryl Horgan is an unknown quantity and if he comes in there, adds a bit of pace to the team. You never know. Well, I mean, I, I know Daryl Horgan's playing League of Ireland and that's obviously a lower standard, but uh, he's playing Europa League as well. And it's not as if he's struggling in Europa League. He scored against Zenit away. Yeah. And he's he's been a, a, a Which are a higher standard than most Premier League teams, you'd say. Probably. Oh, yeah. absolutely are. And he's proven himself against them. So how, how do you see the Austria clash going? Because Austria have been on a mixed run of form so far this campaign. They did manage to get the all-important away win against Georgia, which is much, much harder than it is on paper, but drawing it home to Wales and losing to Serbia? Well, it's, it's really hard to say because Austria is a game that is a, it's, it's for, it, it is there for the taking, and if we go out and play, we, we can beat that Austria side because they're so inconsistent in their form. But it's just I, I've, I just have a dread in Finland that it's just going to be another defensive Ireland performance where we, we just pack, pack the back and just hope for the best, hope for a draw. And do you think a draw and a way draw is good, Oshin? Um, I wouldn't have too many complaints, but I think it's a game we can definitely win. But I think a draw away from us in the past before. That's yeah, the thing. yeah, definitely a draw away from home against a team like Austria. You can't really have too many complaints with. Yeah, it's, it's it's one of those games where going into it, 
you'll say you'll be happy with a draw. Exactly. A, a bit like Serbia away, you'll take a draw, but then Ireland might pull off this performance, and then if they don't come away with the win, you'll be like, oh, wow, I'm actually kind of disappointed we didn't get a win yeah. there because you see that we are actually at the same standard at them. Mm-hmm. And Ireland has such a... They, they have such an acceptance of mediocrity at the minute in their team that they just can't seem to get past the barrier that they are at the same level as some of these players. They'll be contenders as well, though, Austria, for that top, to top the group, I think. So, I mean... In a way, on points. paper, they're they are a very good side, and obviously David Alaba has has done us in the past. He has already shown this campaign. I mean, he's put in two great balls, one against Wales that completely ripped them apart, and he did the same against Georgia, and he did it against Serbia. But um, who would you put in mid centre mid? Because we always seem to have a switch around in the centre mid role. Who out of our players do you think can hold Alaba or would have the potential to? to stop him working his magic and his, his over-the-top balls that just completely take teams apart. Well, I think, obviously, Glenn Whelan is going to be in there, so it's really just who Martin O'Neill thinks is going to handle Alaba the best, which is prob- more than likely going to be Jeff Hendrick, because also with Wardout injured, Brady's more than likely going to be playing left-back. So it, it won't be Brady, and Hendrick will be playing in a more defensive position. If he is playing, I would say we'll probably play a more traditional 4-4-2 formation uh, I would like to see Harry Arter because against uh, Sunderland even though Bournemouth won uh, or even though Bournemouth lost that game Harry Arter for me was a standout player and for me he is Ireland's best centre midfielder but he's just not getting an option I agree I think it's about time he gets a start um, yeah well, but as I said I, know, I don't think I can't see Harry Arter getting it I think you're, you're probably right with Hendrick and, and Whelan but it could hamper Hendrick because he's, he's been one of our most important players mm-hmm. going forward so to put him in kind of a more defensive role it, it, it probably will hamper him but as you said, it's either him or Arter, and we know O'Neill has a has a history of probably not choosing Harry Arter. And as far as the striker situation goes, um, are you a bit surprised Kevin Doyle is in the squad? I've been surprised Kevin Doyle's been in the squad for the last five years, <laughs> I think. <laughs> he, he scored at the weekend um, against LA Galaxy, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, so I can see Martin is thinking, especially since we have no Daryl Murphy and no Shane Long, but I think it's going to be Walters and... Uh, McLean anyway I don't I don't see Kevin Doyle getting a game he's yeah. just there to make up the numbers in my opinion I think I'm just looking at the official squad release from the uh, FAI's Twitter account here and they do have kind of James McLean named as a midfielder they have Walters named as a forward Adam Rooney is there from Aberdeen and also Hayes from Aberdeen as well yeah. is included do you think Adam Rooney might be worth his game I don't know I Andy? can't say I know much about Adam Rooney to be quite honest with you. I was kind of su- not surprised but I would have liked to have maybe seen Macmillan from Dundalk get a yeah. get a shout. I mean, yeah. it's we have we're, we're limited. He's only got three goals in the SPL yeah, season so it, far, so it's not quite the magic he was producing last year. But he's he's still highly so, rated. So we're limited, like so. I mean, it wouldn't. Um, yeah, well, like Adam Rooney was good last year, but like you said, he hasn't set the SPL light this year. And really and truly, um, SPL is not a million miles away from the standard of the League of Ireland, and. David McMillan has been phenomenal for Dundalk this year and last year. Um, and I really think if Adam Rooney's getting a call up for from Aberdeen, then David McMillan should have been in with a shout as well. Yeah, and just um, moving on, how do you feel like the, the Austria squad looks on paper? Because they do have three injuries, but they've got um, Sabitzer playing up front, which is Red Bull Leipzig's, Leipzig's main striker. He scored three goals for Red Bull this season as well and he scored in the UA loss of Serbia I mean you have David Alaba in there you've got an out Arnautovic from Stoke do you think 
Also having Glenn wheeling in the starting lineup might be an advantage in tackling Arnautovic, who's been on good form for his country. I think Arnautovic is a good player, but I think he could be one of those players that if you get at him, he could be a bit of a, like, you know what I mean? If Glenn Whelan puts in a, a bit of a crunch and tackle in the first few minutes, he couldn't think, oh, no, I might not fancy this one. But he is, a, he is definitely a player that can win the game for Austria. I'm not, not quite sure how, how much of a, an impact that will actually have with Glenn Whelan playing for Stoke as well. Like, I mean, they, they play with each other week in, week out. I'm not sure how much of an impact that actually will have on them playing against each other. But at the end of the day, Ireland are going to put in a defensive performance anyway. They're going mm. to be shutting up the shop. So they're going to try and make it hard for these players to play, and that will be the objective for the side. I think they'll, they'll just be closing Alba down quickly, making sure he can't get the crosses in, and it's, it's what they have to do. And in the other game in the group, the other big game in the group is obviously Wales. How do you see them getting on? Or do you think after the draw with Georgia in the, the last round at home that they're, they've already kind of thrown their chances away? Uh, well, when you're Wales, you have Gareth Bale, one of the best mm. players in the world, you always have a chance of pulling it back. I mean, people said last year or two years ago when Ireland were qualifying for the Euros that went halfway through the group stage, they gave us no chance. And then we went and got a win against Germany. So it's not impossible for them to actually go and qualify in, the, in this group anyway. And then just in the other group, we've got Gareth Souke who's still holding the helms at England. <laughs> um, they're playing Scotland. Um, we've obviously seen kind of less talk about the football in this fixture it's been more about the poppy and how the poppy is seen um, what do you think about this whole controversy do you think the teams should be allowed to wear the poppy or do you think it does spray too much of a political message in some ways I knew you'd be first yeah, I, that's, yeah. I'll just let him have that one uh, yeah. I'll, I'll take it I'll bite <laughs> the bullet I'll, the fishing rod I'll bite the bullet <laughs> I, I pointed to Oshin yeah. to answer that question <laughs> but I, I just like, couldn't no, no. I knew you were going I, <laughs> could, I put that one in there I couldn't, I couldn't hold myself in some ways I think that Teams should be allowed to commemorate these things. For example, Ireland with the 1916 getting fined. Uh, but obviously, fair is fair. If England and Scotland are allowed to wear poppies, why should Ireland be allowed to commemorate uh, soldiers from another war? But at the end of the day, England people, English people and Scottish people complaining about them not being allowed to wear poppies is the same as if, let's say, Israel wore... Mm a commemorative badge for their war in Palestine. Mm. Would people in England be, be ex, would they accept that? Well, I don't you, think we're looking would. at, you know, FIFA and UEFA, uh, like an entity that does see the Palestinian flag as an illicit banner in their yeah. own words. So maybe Israel will be allowed to do that. I'm not too sure. I'm not, I'm not too sure. <laughs> like, but would, would people in England and the, the countries over in the Western Europe uh, would they accept that? I don't think they would. Mm. So I don't think they have a, a foot to stand on, really, when they're complaining about it. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just it's just another way of like just stopping people from showing their political views in a football pitch, and that's not really a bad thing, is it? I probably yeah. I don't have much opinion, but I would definitely agree. I mean, the kind of less of the less kind mm. of uh, uproar you want to you want to have, it's probably for the best. So yeah, I suppose we see this every year with James McLean. Constantly, yeah, it's, you get sick. It's of kind of in a recycled news story that they just wait for yeah. this time of year before they go. Oh, James the, McLean's still not wearing, still not wearing a pop. As if he's kind of miraculous, just be like, ah, okay, all right, yeah, <laughs> it doesn't matter. I'll just, I'll just resign. I'll, I'll just wear the poppy. The thing that annoys me about James McLean, people giving out about him wearing the poppy and saying he should be forced to wear the poppy. Does it really count if he is forced to wear the poppy? Because then you're forcing him to 
Like he's still, yeah. Up, you're still, for, you're not. He's not voluntarily wearing it. Exactly. He's just wearing it because he has to, and <laughs> just defeats the whole purpose. He still of has it. the so, same beliefs. So like, yeah. So why bother making him wear a poppy? I agree. <laughs> That's very true. Right. We're gonna just move over to Germany now. We're gonna go away from politics and football, and we're gonna go talk about commercialism in football. So Yay. lads, you may have seen that uh, Red Bull Leipzig have topped the Bundesliga table last weekend. Mm. We recorded an interview with Rob Daly, a Bundesliga commentator and UEFA commentator, who talked us through the ins and outs of what's going on th- with that team but lads in general like how do you feel about I mean Oshin, I know you're fond of Leeds United how would you feel if they were taken over by such an entity who changed the badge to Red Bull the shorts were now red and but you got to be bankrolled to the Premier League what would you, your opinion on that yeah it's, it's a big dilemma I mean it, there was talk a couple of years ago of Red Bull taking over at Leeds and there was I saw a lot on Twitter of would we kind of sell our history to, to, to get back up to the big time it's it's something that you really need to sit down and think about. I think, it, I mean, there's so, there is so much history at clubs like that, like it, especially for Leeds United. I don't think, I think it's it's kind of buying, it's buying to sell you kind of in in a way, mm. like it's it's a cash twenty two. You can't really win because you're you're okay. You're in the Premier League. You're maybe doing well in the Premier League, but like, what have you sacrificed for that? I mean, I think personally as a Leeds fan, I wouldn't like it because we have so much tradition, such a big club, so much history. I wouldn't like to, to do something like that. I did hear talk of Swindon maybe getting taken over by Red Bull. I don't know how that would go down in Swindon as a club. I'm sure a club have a great amount of history there. They were a Premier League side, of course, once. But no, I just for me, I think I wouldn't be able to, to kind of live with it. Yeah, Swindon are in advanced talks even since, since we were talking to Rob mm-hmm. about it. So it'll be amazing to see if the same thing happens that happened with Leipzig that they just get bankrolled to the very top and... In, a, in five five years time we see Swindon Town Red Bull Swindon Red Bull oh sorry Red yeah. Bull Swindon uh, yeah. in fourth or fifth or even top of the Premier League alright sure without further ado we'll just play you the interview here now just for the, the first question Rob can you just go through the background of how the club came to be ok so um, RB Leipzig um, were just a, a small club in, in sort of what is the former Eastern Germany um, and uh, you know effectively were reborn uh, in 2009 uh, after being bought by, effectively bought by Red Bull, uh, the, the drinks company who own other clubs like uh, uh, New York Red Bulls and uh, Red Bull Salzburg in Austria, who are a very successful uh, football team there. And since 2009, they've managed to climb the ranks of German football to the Bundesliga, where they currently sit second. Um, but this, the ownership of the club very much goes against what is a uh, not just a traditional uh, form of, of football club ownership in Germany, but also like the actual rules and regulations of being allowed to participate in, in the top flight of German football. So how exactly are they getting over the ownership rule? Because they do have 51% over there, I believe. Exactly. So in Germany, they have this rule called the 50 plus one rule, which means that the fans as members must own at least half and slightly over half of the football club. It's the case with Bayern. This is why German football is quite unique. Bayern is majority, majority owned by the, the fans. And then the likes of Adidas, Audi, you know, and Allianz, three A's, are invested in the, in the other half, if you like. With Red Bull, technically, you know, and, and some of these clubs, the likes of Dortmund have hundreds of thousands of members. It's the same with Bayern, who I'm not sure if they're the most subscribed sports club in the world with members. Uh, but what's interesting about Red Bull is they have 18 members because they make the membership so high. It's something like 18 members. So only a very select group of Red Bull 
uh, people associated with Red Bull can have membership, and therefore, technically, they have a fan membership, which is over 50%, if, if that makes sense. And just, just going outside the Bundesliga, uh, in UEFA, if, if Red Bull Leipzig uh, do well enough in the Bundesliga to qualify for the Champions League next year, they could be coming up against Red Bull Salzburg. Uh, do you think they'll raise a few alarm bells for UEFA? Um, I mean, they are. I mean, the, the issue is they are separate clubs, and 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 it wouldn't be the first time that you know two football clubs associated with the same company um, will have met. I don't think in, in European competition there is transfers between the two clubs. It is seen as an upgrade to go from Red Bull Salzburg to Red Bull Leipzig, and there have been some of those transfers. Uh, in recent years, maybe I'm sure it will. You know, some people will cause concern, um, but we see this kind of ownership in Europe. It might be a problem that comes to a head eventually. We see Charlton Athletic in England, owned by a network, the Du Châtelet network, where he owns clubs in in France and Belgium. So uh, it wouldn't be a first. It would certainly be interesting, and I'm sure it would cause a, a lot of media attention around the time. Yeah, and especially in England, it, it ha- England's highly commercialised for a long time now, especially the likes of United and. And teams like Man City have been bankrolled to the top of it, but they haven't really been taken over by a, a real commercial entity such as Red Bull that t- took the naming rights for the club. Uh, why do you think that is? Yeah, it sort, of, it sort of depends on what your view is of, of ownership. I mean, you, you know, you have someone like, say, uh, John Henry at Liverpool. I mean, these guys are business enterprises in themselves. Um, and England is very, um, you know, we're very sanitised to it over here. Uh, you know, the, the idea that someone mega rich can just come in and buy any football club you know especially a publicly traded football club as well this really goes against german fan culture uh now leipzig are developing a lot of young talent they're doing lots of good things they have a great coach in ralph hasenhuttl who's like i think might be the next jürgen klopp in terms of not just tactical announce but, but likability they brought in a very likable coach um but you know they played a, a sort of an old east german encounter two teams from the former East Germany faced in the cup when RB Leipzig played Dynamo Dresden back in August. And to give you an idea of the vitriol towards the idea of Red Bull's ownership of Leipzig, they severed a bull's head, the Dynamo Dresden fans, and threw it onto the pitch. In some cases, Levitt, uh, Dortmund fans refused to go to the away game at Leipzig, which Dortmund actually lost. There's been fan protests at their games. And, you know, they've really taken over the mantle from the likes of Hoffenheim and Wolfsburg, who are also seen as new generation German clubs, to be the most hated uh, in German football. But even though they are the most hated club in Germany at the moment, Rob, um, they do seem to be gathering a bit of support from the people in the city. Why do you think they've taken to the club? You know, you're asking great questions. That's an excellent point as well, because, you know... East Germany, I don't think, has had a team in the Bundesliga since Energy Cottbus, maybe. I think I can't quite remember. So sometimes since the former East Germany had a team. And also Leipzig hadn't had, you know, it's a big place and it hadn't had a successful team. From it, they have this state-of-the-art, wonderful, you know, there's a wonderful football stadium in Leipzig now. They're packing it out with, uh, I commentated on um, their 3-1 win uh, recently uh, against Werder Bremen, where Serge Gnabry actually scored for Bremen having left Arsenal in the summer. And it was packed out, 43,000 people there. You know, they see it as their local community, even though the club's new. And we're seeing new football franchises pop up, franchises pop up all over the world. You know, you look at someone like New York City FC. That's yeah. Manchester City in New York. And Manchester City are a company. 
So, you know, there's, there's all little variations of this going on, but because it's so against the traditional ideas of German football, that's why people are angry. The people of Leipzig, I'm sure, are not. They don't care. And, and in Germany, they're being labelled uh, Bayern Jäger uh, Nummer 1, which is um, Bayern Hunters Number 1, that they're the closest <laughs> team to Bayern at the moment, just two points behind the team that everyone expects will be champions eventually. And do you think they could win the Bundesliga? Not this year, no. I mean, I, you know, I have been I'm very impressed with what they've done. Let's not hide the fact that they've spent a load of money. I think only Dortmund and Bayern had more outgoing finances than Leipzig in the summer. But they're very talented players. They have some kind of policy where, I don't know if they only sign players under 24, something like that. Um, and uh, they play this very narrow 4-2-2-2 formation. If you can sort of picture that, not wingers. They almost have like two number 10s in mm. behind two strikers. It's a bit odd. But it's really working for them. Um, they've got great wins, and the Dortmund scalp uh, was very notable. They beat them 1-0 with Oliver Burke, the Scotland international, setting up the goal for, for Nadi Keita. I don't think they will win the, the Bundesliga this season. I think, you know, their, their shortcomings will, will become apparent. But no question they can qualify for Europe this season, if not the Champions League, the Europa League, because a lot of the traditional teams in Germany are doing very poorly. I mean, even Dortmund are back in eighth. You've got Leverkusen, who beat Spurs in 10th or 11th, something like that. There's an opportunity for them to get into Europe where they'll encounter more sponsorship issues because UEFA don't allow Red Bull even in the stadium names. <laughs> uh, so, so more little hurdles on the way for Leipzig, but they really look like they're making something happen. And uh, how, how well are they actually spending the money? Are they investing in the infrastructure? Because we saw it with Man City. Man City have a great infrastructure set up in place with a new training ground, new new mm. youth facilities. Uh, some teams who who are taking over like this, they struggle after a few years after the money dries up. Uh, what how's the case in Red Bull Leipzig? No, again, yeah, a great point. I mean, the Etihad campus I've been up to a few times in Man City, and it's 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 a staggering complex. Which, you know, I used to work for Man City a lot and was around the stadium. That the the outskirts outside the Etihad, you know, there was some very poor and run down areas. Um, you know, even just barren fields of concrete, almost you know, like they've been turned into something. So, City have done great work in and around their their stadium. Uh, Leipzig have invested very, very heavily in their youth infrastructure, and they're not. I don't know if one day they're going to be the kind of team, say in ten, fifteen years, that spend a hundred million quid on a player. At the moment, that is not their objective. At the moment, their objective is bright young talent, the likes of Timo Werner. They signed from Stuttgart, one of the best young strikers in Germany. Nabi Keita, brilliant dynamic midfielder, plays like a more uh, offensively minded Umbello um, Kante, if you like, certainly in terms of turning over ball possession, and then sell them on for a profit. I think that is RB Leipzig's ultimate uh, mindset, and they'll just keep developing young players, and they have guys coming through their own academy. Look, th- this is a club that until 18 months ago had Joshua Kimmich, who's the best young player in German football at the moment, and Bayern bought, bought him off Leipzig when they were in the second tier. I think Kimmich's been at Bayern, I don't know if it's a year and a half or two years now. So that gives you the idea of the way that Leipzig, I think, are going to play the transfer market, certainly for the immediate future, next five years. Brilliant. And um, just on a final note, Rob, before we let you go, do you think like football is going to operate in the future more like this? Like, Are we on the verge of seeing something like a McDonald's FC or a Burger King football club? <laughs> I really hope we don't see that. <laughs> uh, with Ronald McDonald prancing down the touchline as a mascot. <laughs> Although I was a fan of the Hamburglar. I liked his, <laughs> I liked his gear. Um, I think, uh, you know, you'd, in a way, you'd hope not. I'm, you know, when I go, to, I'm in Germany 
sort of once a week at the moment, and you speak to fans, and there's genuine animosity for RB Leipzig. Outside of Germany, I think there's a mild respect for some of the things that they've done, certainly in, in, in keeping pace with Bayern in the, in the opening weeks of the season. I think we will see more of this. You know, Leipzig aren't being challenged by the authorities about their membership model particularly. They're getting away with it. Um, but the thing I would point to is how many teams have done it already? Uh, how many companies have bought up football clubs and have done this? It isn't many. In terms of a total rebrand, like the Leipzig thing, you know, mm. we look at Red Bull Salzburg. Again, that had great, uh, there was great, there's been great friction to that uh, in Austria as well. We haven't seen it. I mean, I don't know. If there, there are companies who have pre existing interest in football clubs. So, um, sorry if I'm rambling on here. Violated, <laughs> no, 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 no. for example. Yeah. It's, a, uh, so, it's actually it's sneaking into England a little bit now because Tottenham are uh, giving away their naming rights and Uber are currently, they're, they're currently the highest bidder. So, the, to the stadium, to, yeah. to the new stadium. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's very American, isn't it? I mean, we've seen a lot of that in America. Things like the Staples Arena, and um, they've tried. You know, there, there has been resistance to it here, but we're, you know, more and more um, resistance is waning to that kind of thing. I mean, you look into the championship, and you look at half the stadiums, and mm. you go, Who, "What on earth is that stadium?" King I like to think I know a bit about football, sports, direct. but because. The, Sponsors come in and just rename these stadiums every season something different. You know, I suppose a lot of those clubs need money, and the Premier League are just getting cash thrown at them. I mean, you know, it's it's going to take some real strong will. But heaven forbid, some clubs should can show a bit of you know a bit of mm. friction if they don't want to rename their stadium to to keep it as Anfield or Old Trafford rather than Burger King Anfield <laughs> or or Wimpy Old Trafford. I think that suits. <laughs> Has a ring What's to it. What's the Irish one? What's the Irish sort of McDonald's thing? Oh, Supermax. Supermax. Supermax, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so I, think, yeah, I don't think we're going to see the Supermax Olympic Stadium. Really. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brilliant. Thanks very much, Rob. It was great to have you on. No, great stuff. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks. Cheers, Talk thank to you. you soon. Good stuff. Cheers. So yeah, it was it was interesting what Rob said about I suppose where would you draw the line between a team already being owned by a corporate entity like Leicester, for example, obviously with the King Power Stadium and they've been very much marketed in in Asia and things like that. But um, I suppose there's one thing changing a team completely rebranding the crest and rebranding the logos and stuff like that but I mean we could argue all day about maybe Leeds changing to Red Bull mm. but where would you see if it was something a little more closer to home like say if Hull City got bought, by, bought out by Kellogg's and Tony <laughs> the Tiger was now their mascot what way would you think about that would that be drawing it going too far or if the brand has somehow managed to fit itself within the uh, the tradition of the club but still ruin it in that way I suppose I think it just depends on whether uh, Hull City's stadiums change to the Kellogg's Kellogg's <laughs> Arena or like I mean yeah, you have to draw a line in, in some parts like what the club is all about and the club's identity and in, in, in mm. such ways I mean you, you saw it with Newcastle when uh, the Sports Direct Arena I tried to it? change the name of the, to the Sports Direct Arena it just didn't go down well because that's well yeah it was changed for yeah, yeah it was and changed it and back, it, yeah. it had to be changed back because the fans protested about mm. it it was the same when Hull City actually did the the owner tried to get it changed to Hull City Tigers it didn't go down well with fans the the, the clubs need their identity mm. and I think that's where you draw the line you can't change the name the name of the stadium you have to keep the history of the club alright 
No, I definitely, definitely. As I said before, I definitely agree. I mean, the history is it's your club is is going to be all about history, and for someone to come in and just completely wipe, almost wipe the slate clean, it's unfair. I mean, you're, yes, you're getting a lot of money, but it's still it's unfair to the fans that have been sticking around for so long to just give them instant. It's given instant success, but with such a such a price. And imagine, let's say Liverpool, mm-hmm. the the owners decided that they wanted to call Liverpool the Red Sox. <laughs> or something like that there instead they're not yeah. too far off that they're, really yeah, they're, I suppose they have red socks already they, they already have red socks so <laughs> it's, it, w- it would work but uh, yeah now like the club needs to keep its identity especially these the bigger clubs it's becoming more and more important to these clubs especially when they're not winning titles such as Liverpool mm. or even Man United at this stage what what are they without their, their history they're just a corporate entity yeah, okay, and then just moving on to our final notes before we leave it, our, our usual segment, the uh, Scottish Fifth Division. <laughs> Everyone's favourite division. We, see, we saw a record, quite a big record broken there last weekend. East Kilbride broke the record for most consecutive wins in a row with 27 beating Ajax out. Lads, um, it's quite an incredible record. Ajax sent out appropriately 27 crates of beer to... A bunch of lads who were definitely allowed to drink them because uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think they're very professional in that league. But uh, as what do you think about that? I think it's fantastic. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you can say what you want. Is like Ajax was the top, the top team in Europe mm. to, at at that stage, and they're coming up against professional opposition. But at the end of the day, twenty eight games is. It's just a phenomenal amount of games to yeah. win consecutively. You can only beat um, what's in front of you as well. Like, exactly. You know what exactly. I mean? Just, I just wondering, and do you recall the uh, twenty-seven games they won? I know you're an avid East Kilbride fan. Can you? Uh, I can remember? name you. I can name you every single result oh, really? by the score. Brilliant. Massive East Kilbride fan. I hear you are. Great Donegal man is the manager, so that's that's why I remember them. Uh, first game I think was against White uh, Whitehill Welfare, where they won three-two. Then. Good name. They, it's a fantastic name. Then they went on to to play beat uh, Vale of Lehen five two. Then they beat uh, Selkirk five one away. Okay, we don't need the scores. No. Maybe we'll just name the teams because oh, we're oh, going to go through everyone okay, here. Okay. Now. Do you want me to start again? Oh no, we we can keep going. Okay. Here. Selkirk three Rovers. Then they were at away again to Whitehall Welfare again. Then Selkirk, Dal, Bit Star, Preston Athletic, Gallifrey, Gretna 2008, East Stranger. Uh, oh, they're good. They're, they're brilliant. <laughs> Sterling University, Vale of Lehan again, and Vale of Lehan for, for a third time. Embury University, Cumbernauld Colts. They're, they're a good team. Coden B, Vale of Lehan for a fourth time, and they finished off BSC Glasgow, and their match against uh, Hallwick Royal Athletic that was postponed, so they take on the Silver Service next week. Hopefully they can go 29, continue on the winning streak. <laughs> all right, brilliant. I'm impressed. Fantastic. Right, bro. That's brilliant. That's all we got time for. Thanks very much for tuning in, and I will talk to you later, boys. Gentlemen, thanks very much. No problem. No problem. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. 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 And when you do things like that about a man like Stuart Pearce, I've kept really quiet, but I'll tell you something. He went down in my information when he said that. We have not resorted to that, but I'll tell you, you tell him now if you're watching it, we're still fighting for this title, and he's got to go to Middlesbrough and get something. And, And I'll tell you, honestly, I will love it if we beat them. Love it. 